Welcome to another inspirational message from Gateway Life Church. We're so glad that you've joined us and trust that this podcast will be a blessing to you. Thanks so much, Pastor Jason. Um, please have a seat, everybody. Wow. So good to be in God's house this morning, hey? Well, good morning. Um, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to share my testimony this morning, which is my story of how I came to become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so it's not really my story, it's, it's his story um, and working through me. I'm really, really thankful uh, that I was raised in a, in a loving Christian home. One of the greatest gifts my parents gave me and my sister... <laughs> I'm getting a bit emotional, sorry. Um, ...is that we grew up knowing that we were unconditionally loved. The greatest gift. And my parents, let me tell you, few people, if any, in my life have shown me the practical love of Jesus Christ. My parents are simply the most loving and generous people that I know. They would do anything to help anybody. And I'm so thankful to have grown up with that witness, with that example of how to show God's love. We grew up going to a very traditional Anglican church and I always knew that God was real. I never doubted God's existence. I always knew that God was real. And I always knew that Jesus died on the cross to forgive me for my sins. I always knew that God loved me. But somewhere along the line, God became distant. He didn't become distant. He seemed distant to me. Because God's as close to us as we want him to be. Um, but he seemed distant to me. It got lost to me in the, in the religiosity, in the ceremony. And I had a difficult time in high school. I went to uh, a, a private Catholic school which was quite academic and I'm not an academic guy. I certainly wasn't an academic teenager <laughs> and I wasn't one of the cool kids. Uh, quite the opposite. Me and my friends, we were, we were the dorks. We were the nerds. We were the unpopular crew. We were the uncos. We were the guys that other people laughed at and picked on, right? We were called, this is the name that they had for us, was the Strops. Now, for those who were around in the 80s, you would remember Strop as being a real dropkick of a character that was on TV at the time. Okay, many of you will remember the show that I'm talking about. So... It was very derogatory, and it still actually brings up stuff for me, even now, saying that word strop, it's like, <laughs> don't call me strop. But, um, so, you know, not being an academic kid, not being a popular kid, 
coupled with the usual kind of teenage insecurities about body changes and being nervous about talking to girls and all of that stuff meant that I spent a lot of time in my teenage years being anxious and depressed. But, you know, as a young person, most of us, we don't know how to articulate that stuff, so I just internalised it. And when I was 14, some of my mates introduced me to alcohol. And when I drank... It was like a magic pill that made all of that stuff go away. I mean, it was awesome. It made me feel confident. No anxiety, no insecurity. It made me feel like I was a man, like I was 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And so we would seek every opportunity we could to, to sneak alcohol. We'd go and stay over mates' places and we would sneak out or we would sneak alcohol in somewhere or we would, confession time, we would steal it from somebody's parents' liquor cabinet. And so this was just... Alcohol made me be who I thought I wanted to be, someone who was uh, confident and funny and life of the party and all of that kind of stuff. So I finished school and I didn't know what to do with my life. Uh, I knew that I didn't want to go on to uni, not that I had the grades to do so, I, I wouldn't have been able to, but I just wanted to do something that was as far away from academia as I could possibly think. And so I became a bricklayer. I did a bricklaying apprenticeship. And so I've gone from the world of private academic Catholic school to rough, tough brickies and labourers and very strong drinking culture. Back in the day, you know, we could drink on site. I'm, I'm told you're not allowed to do that now, but <laughs> seriously, we would, we would buy, you know, we would get a couple of cartons after work sometimes or if it was your, some, some gangs I worked with, if it was your birthday, you were expected to buy a carton of beer to share with everybody at lunchtime and you would have a few beers and you would go uh, back to work after lunch and you would have a beer with you on the scaffold. So very strong drinking culture and so my drinking increased um, Drinking, binge drinking on the weekends just became my norm and I would either, I stayed in touch with my old school friends and I would go out and party with them and I would party with my new bricky mates and, you know, I felt really tough being with these tough bricklayers and wearing my steel cap boots and my hard yakka pants and all of that kind of gear and nobody's going to pick on me anymore, I'm a tough guy. And so the drinking, you know, starts to escalate, becomes a normal thing. But I quickly realised that I did not want to be a bricklayer for the rest of my life. That was just not going to be my thing. You want me to tell you why? Yeah, I'll show you. 
mortar, brick, 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 mortar, brick. You get the picture, right? A little bit monotonous. So, at the age of 18, I was mucking around with some mates one day, and one of my mates, he points at me and goes, Ben, you should have been an actor. That was like a light bulb just went off in my head because that had always been uh, a secret desire of mine from when I was a little kid. I, I still remember the moment when I was very little and I learned that uh, what was happening on my TV screen was not real and those people were just actors dressing up in costumes and pretending to be somebody else. And I thought, man, that is what I want to do with my life. So this was like a light bulb moment for me when my mate said to me, Ben, you should have been an actor. I went, well, yeah, of course. Of course I should have been an actor. And so that reawakened that, that dream in me and I went, well, yeah, this is the thing that's going to make me happy. This is the thing that's going to make me popular and cool and I'll be rich and famous. I'm going to go to Hollywood. I'll be the next Mel Gibson. Why is that so funny, Jason? It, it could have happened. No, it's, it's, somebody always laughs when I get to that point in my story, so I forgive you for that. Um, but yeah, you know, that, I, this is the thing that I thought was going to make me happy. I'm going to be rich and famous and people are going to worship me and all those people that laughed at me, they're going to go, oh my goodness, I should have been nicer to him. And so I set off on this journey to become this world-famous actor and I started, you know, doing amateur theatre and oh, I loved getting up on the stage and getting that applause. And I got an agent and did some extra work and, you know, um, fast forward a few years and I'm about 25 years old and the drinking thing had really escalated at this stage. And I, I was never someone... I never got to a point where I would, I would drink every day. I never got to the point where, like a lot of people that I know, who um, would, you know, wake up and have a drink before they do anything else in the morning. I never got to that stage. But I did get to the point where I was binge drinking sometimes several nights a week. Right? And I was drinking uh, to the point of, I can't drink anymore. It was all or nothing. It was, it was never one or two drinks, okay? I never went out for one or two drinks. If I had one drink, I was in for the night, and that was it. I would drink until I fell over and couldn't get up, or I would drink until the bar closed at 3 o'clock in the morning, or I got kicked out, or whatever. And alcohol had become my life. It was my whole social outlet. It was my way of coping with life stress, my way of unwinding at the end of the day or the end of the week. It became my way of coping with all of my insecurities and problems, all of the issues in my life. And at 25 years of age, I, 
you know, and been in the workforce for quite a few years now, um, had nothing to show for my life because all of my money went on partying. So I literally had nothing but the clothes that I owned. Um, I started doing things, well, from the start really, when you, when you drink, you do things that you wouldn't normally do. You do things that are out of character. But when it becomes a regular thing, you, you do those things more and more. And, and, you're, and once you've done those things, it becomes easier to do it the next time. So things that you would never have thought of doing before become your norm, your conscience becomes seared. You lose your moral compass. That's what happens when you give yourself over to a substance. And this is what I found happened to me, was that I completely lost my sense of self. I lost my sense of who I was. I completely uh, lost sight of the of the good Christian values that my parents worked so hard to raise me with. Um, and I got to the point of not liking myself anymore. And I, I literally remember I, I was in a, a pub one night, I went to the bathroom and I was washing my hands, I looked at myself in the mirror and I said out loud, I said, I hate you. You're a drunk. You're just a drunk. And you know, I did a lot of things I regret. I hurt people that I cared about. And that was a big wake-up call. But there was still that really selfish part of me too that wanted to conquer the world and be all of that, you know. And so I had this wake-up call and I realised, you know what, if I'm going to be this world-famous actor, I'm actually uh, going to have to stop drinking. This is, this is not working. This has taken over my life. So um, I had many attempts at quitting drinking and many times I said, that, that's it, I'm, I'm going to stop, this is it. And long story short, my recovery was a process of um, learning by my mistakes. I, I learnt what didn't work. I would try something. I would, you know, I initially thought that I could still keep going to the pub and hanging out with my mates and I thought, I just won't drink. I'll just go to the pub and I won't drink. That's a great plan. And I'd be saying to myself all day, I'd be at work and I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink, not going to drink. Go to the pub, sit down at the table. Hey, Ben, you want to drink? Yep. <laughs> just like that, just automatic. So that didn't work. Um, so it was a, it was a process of, of, you know, picking myself up and, uh, and trying again. And that's really what recovery is, no matter how you do it. You know, there's lots of different methods and uh, support groups and all of that, but it's really about learning from your mistakes. So long story short, I did manage to stop drinking, but I was still far from God in my heart. I was still... Um, far from wanting him to be any part of my life and still pursuing this dream. Well, fast forward another two years. I'm 27 years old. I've been sober for two years. But lo and behold, I had not achieved this great success uh, that I had been wanting so badly. Um, in fact, the, 
the best that I could claim was uh, a string of amateur theatre credits. Uh, I got nominated for an award once, which I didn't win, um, and a bunch of uh, gigs as a professional extra on film and TV. I didn't even get any speaking roles. In fact, I used to joke that the back of my head was famous because I got the back of my head on TV so many times. There was one time I was... Um, I was my, actually, my first uh, gig on a TV show was a, a show, detective show called Stingers back in the um, early 2000s, I think it was, or 99, somewhere around there. People might remember that show. And I was really excited told everybody, look, I'm going to be on Stingers, make sure you watch Stingers, it's going to be great, I'm on Stingers. And, um, and I called up my cousin Scotty afterwards, and my cousin Scott, I, we grew up together and we played tennis for years and years together, we were doubles partners, and Scotty goes to me, hey Hummer, Hummer was my nickname back in the day, hey Hummer, I saw you on Stingers the other day, I said, Scotty, how did you even know that was me? The back of my head was on screen for about a second. And he said, Hummer, I played doubles with you for nine years. I'd know the back of that head anywhere. <laughs> but tragically, that was about as, as good as it got for my professional acting career. So I started to have these niggling little doubts that maybe, just maybe, this Hollywood thing wasn't going to happen and that I wasn't going to be a professional actor. And um, this was a, a, a shock to me. And um, God actually gave me a vision. And I saw a picture of myself as an old man. And in this vision, I had achieved this great success. I was a famous successful actor uh, but I was alone and I was at the I was an old man I was at the end of my life and God spoke to me and he said you know there's not a single person on earth who is better off because they knew you. Yeah. That just cut me to my heart because I knew it was true because I had lived a life that was completely selfish, that was all about me, living for my own selfish desires. And so in the loneliness of my room in that moment, I threw up my arms to God, literally, I said, well, what do you want me to do with my life? Um, not expecting any kind of answer, but I went to bed and I woke up the next morning and I knew that God had a plan for my life. And I don't just mean that I had this idea, I mean God had implanted this idea in my head. Um, I knew it had come from him, that it had come from without. Um, so that was a little bit 
exciting and scary. I didn't know that God still spoke to people. I thought, you know, I remembered from my church upbringing that he spoke to Moses and, you know, some other Old Testament people and stuff like that. I didn't know that God still spoke to us today. So uh, I'm like, okay, that's exciting. And I started going back to church and I remember going down to my local uh, Church of Christ in an evening service and I walked in and there was people playing in a band and I grew up with you know hymns playing on the church you know on the organ and there's a band playing modern contemporary music and um, the people up on the platform just had such a joy about them there was just so I looked at these people and I went these people I, I want what they've got I want that uh, so I kept going to church but I had a lot of objections, I had a lot of questions, I had a lot of stuff I needed to get out of the way and in, I was just overcome with my own sinfulness and in a moment that I know now was the Holy Spirit convicting me of my sin, I just said to God, you know, Lord, and this is just in my head, you know, I didn't speak these words out loud, but I said, Lord, I know you've got this plan for me. I know you've got a plan for my life, but I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Look at the man that I've become. Look at who I've become. You've got the wrong guy. Go find somebody else. And I went to church that week, and this is exactly what the pastor was talking about. He was talking about how God's got a plan for all of our lives. And this pastor was such a great man of God and he was so passionate and he starts getting fired up and he's pointing at me with his open palm and here's me up the back trying to be inconspicuous, you know, and he's pointing at me and he's saying, God has got a plan for you. He wants you. He's not got the wrong guy. He wants you. Wow. I didn't speak those words out loud to anybody. Nobody else knew that I had said those words. Only God. And I knew in that moment that God was speaking to me through this man. Oh, I mean, talk about could have knocked me over with a feather. I was, it was just, I was just blown away. And the next week, I had another objection. I was carrying a lot of hatred, a lot of resentment towards a woman that I had been in a relationship with many years ago. Um, it was a very toxic relationship. She was older than me. She was very, she had a lot of issues. She was very verbally abusive towards me. And even though I hadn't seen this person or spoken to her for about seven years or so, um, the anger in me towards her um, had not dissipated over time. It had actually snowballed. It actually gotten worse and worse and worse. And my hatred, I've got to tell you, was so strong that it was like a brick wall in front of me. And I knew from my Christian upbringing that if I was going to receive God's forgiveness, that I also needed to forgive those who had hurt me. And I couldn't do it. And I don't even mean that I didn't want to do it. I mean I physically could not do it. And so I went to church again that week. And again, this is exactly what the pastor was talking about. And he said, you know what? 
Even as Christians, sometimes we find it hard to forgive people. We find it hard to forgive those who've hurt us. But you know you don't have to do it on your own. You just have to be prepared to lay it down and give it to Jesus Christ and let him take care of it. So, wow, praise God, two weeks in a row I had an objection and two weeks in a row God spoke to me through the pastor. And the third week, the same thing happened again. I had another objection and the pastor was talking about this exact same thing. And I just went, okay, Lord, I surrender. I surrender, that's it. God just broke me down. You know, he just wore me down. And I went, okay, Lord, whatever you want me to do, however you want me to live, I'm yours. I will follow you. I will follow you. So that was the very beginning of my walk with God. And, you know, God used everything in my past for good, as as he always does for those who love him. And years later, I went on to become a drug and alcohol counsellor and help many people um, work through addictions. And um, So maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching or listening online and thinking, well, that's a great story. I wish God would speak to me like that. Well, he is. He is. You know, the question is not, is God speaking to us? The question is, are we prepared to hear what he has to say? God is speaking to us in so many different ways, and I'm just going to run through a few really quick, okay? This is not an exhaustive list, but God speaks to us through his creation. You know, we're living on a planet which is 93 million miles from the sun, exactly the right distance it needs to be to provide us light and heat and warmth to grow our food. That's not an accident. You know, your eyes have a million light-sensitive cells which all needed to come together at once in order to work. The DNA in your body is the most complex language known to man. What's your point, Ben? Your point, my point is, you are not an accident. You are not an accident. Your parents might tell you that you're an accident, but you are not an accident. You are created for a purpose. You are created out of love. God speaks to us through his word, the Bible. The Bible is the only book on this planet which tells us our history, where we've been. It tells us our condition, the state of our heart. It tells us um, how we need to live. And it tells us our future, where we're going. Nearly two-thirds of the Bible is prophecy. And many of those prophecies have come to pass already and or are coming to pass right before our eyes. In the Old Testament, God tells us how he was going to deal with sin, evil and death, and in the New Testament, he tells us how he did it. God is speaking to you through the cross of Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, God himself entered into his creation. He became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, He lived a perfect, sinless life, 
something that we could never do, and he chose to die a shameful and excruciating death on a cross, taking the punishment for my sins and for yours upon himself. So that if we repent, which means to turn from sin, to turn towards God and put our trust not in our own goodness but in Jesus Christ, then the Bible says that he can remove our sins as far from us as the east is from the west, that he will clothe us with his goodness, his righteousness. Stop and think about that for a second. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we could be clothed with the righteousness of God. He can adopt us. God will adopt you into his family. And you can become a son or a daughter of the one true and living God. The cross of Jesus Christ screams at us, I love you, please turn to me. God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. That still inner quiet voice which is calling you right now. Are you listening? Calling you to repentance, saying, please come back to me. I love you. And God speaks to us through people. God is speaking to you through me right now. And I would say to you, if that's you, if you are hearing that voice today, please don't ignore it. I would urge you, I would beg you, don't ignore that voice. The Bible says today is the day of your salvation. You might not have tomorrow. Please don't delay. This is eternity. Our life is but a vapour, a puff of smoke. Eternity is forever. Praise God. You know what? I'm going to leave it there for now. And... um, I'm going to end with, um, I'm going to share a song with you. I'm going to ask my beautiful wife, Honora, is going to come up and join us on the stage. And um, she's going to play some keys for me and, uh, and, and do some backing vocals. And I just want to share a song which is a really important, it's a really special song for me. Uh, it's a song by a band called Chris, uh, Casting Crowns. And um, it just really tells of my journey. I just, I just feel, when I sing this song, I just feel, you know what, this is, this is my story. And the song is called, And Now My Life Song Sings. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was lost, but now I'm found. So far away, but I'm home now. I once was lost, but now I'm found. 
And now my life song sings I once was blind But now I see I once was blind But now I see I don't know how but when he touched me, I once was blind, but now I see. And now my life song sings. And now my life song sings. And was dead, but now I live. I once was dead, but now I live. And now my life to you I give. And now my life to you I give. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Gateway Life Church. For more information, please visit gatewaylifechurch.org.au. God bless and have a great day.